0: Uh, there were 60 people around the country who were asked to be a part of this leadership cohort, and I was selected. And so about a month ago, we were invited to Orlando for a training. And the great thing is they pay for all of this. And so they get me there. They, they do everything. And the fun thing they wanted us to do was to go to Gatorland. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a place like this, Gatorland. Uh, down in the south, there are these places. In Orlando, there is a Gatorland. It's an alligator park. And so when we get to the alligator part, we realize that we're going to have an opportunity to zipline over alligators. (laughs) If you're new around this place, I have uh, been honest about my fear of heights. And so that was like level one fear, but then level two, knowing that if I do plummet uh, to my death, then there are alligators waiting for me in this pond. And so... uh, it didn't feel like it was an option. Like we were just doing it, right? You just feel the, the movement of everyone doing it. And so you're like, okay, I guess I'm, I'm doing this. And so I remember standing at the edge, ready to, to zip line. And literally there are alligators just sitting in the water, just waiting, right? And there was this tension, right? There's the tension of everyone behind me who is going to do it. And honestly, this tension of like, I want to do this. Like, this is going to be really cool to say that I have done this. But there was this tension of alligators in the water and, and ziplining over it. You, you, I sat in this tension for a moment, not long, because I kind of was pushed off of the, the, the zip line ready to, to go. But I sat in this tension, and I don't know if you've ever felt that in your life. This kind of this tension of excitement but fear. This excitement of wanting to be a part of something, but not really knowing what the future is going to look like. If it's going to work or if it's not. Uh, you want to take a step of faith, but then you wonder, is this going to well, go well? How will people respond? Right? I don't know if you've ever sat in that tension uh, before. Uh, but we're in this series called Defining Moments. And, and what we're going to look at today, I believe, uh, there was some tension for the disciples, the early followers of Jesus, And I think this is one of those scriptures, if you've been in the church, and I know not everyone has, if you're new, uh, really this is an opportunity for for you to sit back and listen, to hear what the call was for early followers of Jesus, uh, to hear why sometimes you have maybe um, been talked about or talked to about Jesus. Uh, This might be the reason why. And so if you're new, again, this one is sit back, listen uh, to what God was asking his early followers to do and us. And so I think if you've heard this scripture before, uh, you have sat in some tension with it. Uh, some tension because you weren't really sure what it meant. Uh, and so my, my moment with my alligators was just a moment. It wasn't a defining moment. It really didn't change the trajectory of my life. It didn't change me forever. But these moments we're looking at, these moments after Jesus goes to a cross, he dies, he's buried, and he comes back, and he encounters about 500 people, uh, in about 12 different occasions. And in these moments, we have some defining moments. Week one, we looked at where Jesus encounters Thomas. We said, let's start calling him Honest Thomas. He's known as Doubting Thomas, but he was honest about his doubts. Uh, Jesus confronts that by answering some of those doubts and then encourages him to believe and not doubt. Right? That changes us personally to know that, that God isn't angry when we question or when we doubt or we struggle, that, that that's normal. The hope is that we go to him and we want to be a kind of church where it's okay for people to have those doubts and to question. And then last week we looked at Peter who denied even knowing Jesus. Uh, Jesus invites him to have breakfast and invites him really back into a relationship with him but then sends him to to still do what his purpose was. That there was a purpose for Peter and Peter I think wondered if that purpose was still real for him. And Jesus in that moment encourages him And tells him that that purpose hasn't changed just because of circumstances or situations or his choices. That Peter's purpose was still to be the one that the church would be built on. And so we look at our lives in the midst of those and and ask the question, what does that mean for us? How is that a defining moment for us in our doubt and and questioning what our purpose might look like? And today, I think this is one of the most important moments that Jesus has with his disciples. Uh, I think this was the defining moment for them. I think it is... Maybe the defining moment even for us as a church, not just locally, but for the church. And I think there was tension for them and there's tension for us as we look at this. It's Matthew 28. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible around you uh, somewhere. I I would love for you to take that. That's our gift to you. Um, And the the reading, there'll be a page number up there that'll connect to that uh, scripture. This is known as the Great Commission or the Great Commandment or the great instruction that was given to the early followers of Jesus. Already, it's Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This Matthew is the gospel of Matthew. This is the account and story uh, of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection. Uh, This is the story of Jesus. And this is the last thing that Matthew includes. So in the gospel of Matthew, this is it. It says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Just real quick, when you think of disciples, um, it's not just the original 12 disciples. Um, There were other. Disciples were just those who were following Jesus and learners. We have the 12 that we know Jesus called to follow him, but then there would probably have been other disciples, and so, even still, it says, there's these disciples who are with Jesus who are still doubting. Verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end. Of the age. There's a few things I want to do with this scripture uh, this morning, uh, these words of Jesus, this defining moment. I'm going to look first at what it just means to be a disciple. Uh, we, we've heard these scriptures a lot and we hear the term disciple and I say that word, but, but what does it really mean to be a disciple? What is Jesus instructing them to do and, and what would he be instructing us to do? What happened post this moment? Do the disciples listen? And then what is the tension we experience and how do we move? This word disciple isn't probably a word you typically use. Uh, This isn't a normal word in our vocabulary. It literally means a pupil or a learner. It means a student. So early on in Jewish history, you have these rabbis and you had these schools where kids would go. And you would reach a point in your schooling that if you weren't good enough, you would go back to your family and you would begin to go and work for your father. If you were good enough, let's say at the end of elementary, you would then move on to the next section. And what they were doing is they were just memorizing the Old Testament, the first five books. They are just memorizing Scripture. And what would happen is someone would come to them and say, nice try, but you're not quite good enough. You need to go back home. And if their dad was a fisherman, if they were a carpenter, they would then take that on for their occupation. They would go learn from their father. But at the end, when they would graduate, there would be rabbis, these teachers, who would come along and they would invite these students to come and follow them. It was a rabbi inviting someone to learn from them. This is exactly what Jesus has done. Jesus was a rabbi. He grew up in a Jewish community. He was Jewish. And so it wasn't weird that Jesus at some point invites these men to come and follow him. The thing that's different, and we'll look at this in a moment, is these men, these guys were not in school. These were the rejects. These were the ones who were told, nice try, not quite good enough, go learn uh, the occupation of your father. And so this is what is happening in the life of Jesus. And the goal of a disciple, those who would follow a rabbi, was to just walk around to follow the rabbi, listen to their teachings, but more importantly, observe how they lived their life. How did they interact with people? How did they put the scriptures into practice every day? It was more about watching how they lived. A few weeks ago, I said the term uh, to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Uh, I'll say that again. These disciples, these students would closely follow their teacher, their rabbi. And the thought was at the end of the day, the dust would be kicked up and it would land on them. They wanted to follow and learn from their rabbi. And so this is what I would say to you. No matter who you are, uh, you're a disciple. And what I mean by that is you are becoming like someone. You are learning from someone. Uh, Whether it's business, whether it's about money, uh, whether it's about how to live life just in general, you are all disciples. You are all learning from someone, and you're learning something. And you're discipling someone. Someone is learning from you. When I was very little, uh, it was early on, I um, observed from my father that he was a fan of the University of Oklahoma. And if you've been around here, I talk about that. My, my love for OU And I remember as a child, my dad would fly an American flag and then he would fly a Marine Corps flag and then he would fly an OU flag, right? And at times I think that was his love, right? Those were the the three things that he loved. And and I remember as a small child um, in literally 1986, I don't remember a lot about my childhood, 1986, I'm five years old, January 1st, I remember sitting down with my dad and watching the Orange Bowl when OU beat Penn State uh, for one of their many national championships for OU. And I remember that. I remember sitting with my dad, and early on, I became a disciple of my father and had a passion for OU. Now, somewhat unintentionally, this is being passed on to my kids. Some intentionally, right? But somewhat unintentionally. And I was with a group of people last week, and my son is not sitting right by me. He's, you know, five or six feet away from me, and he's having a conversation with an adult, with a young adult. And they're beginning to talk football and different things, and I'm just kind of observing. And I hear my eight-year-old son talking about the draft, and he's talking about OU football players and what teams they're playing for and, and what is his hope for this next season because of what is happening on their teams. And I had a small tear come out of my (laughs) eye as I listened to my son have this this conversation. Uh, But I'm teaching him something, right? And that's kind of trivial, and it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But I am discipling him. He is learning something from me. And so early on, we see Jesus invite these people to come and follow him. It is an invitation to learn from him. And these disciples went everywhere with him. And it was Jesus' expectation that these disciples would look more and more like him. That every day there was this growth that would take place. Not that they would be perfect and we see them mess up time and time again. But the expectation of Jesus was that his disciples would look like him. And we see this in statements Jesus would make. He would tell a story, and he tells a story about a good Samaritan and someone who's on the side of the road and needing help. And he talks about the people who come along and don't help. And then he tells the story of someone who does come along and help. And in the end, he's telling this group of people, a large group of people, this story. But his disciples are there listening. And he says to them, go and do likewise. He's telling his disciples, you have seen me do something like this. You are hearing the words that I'm telling you. Now you go and do it. Or when he washes his disciples' feet and he tells them, you ought to wash one another's feet. Or he says, as I have loved you, you ought to love one another. And then we see here, we see this mandate, this command, that his disciples would then go and make disciples. The same thing that Jesus has been doing. See, Jesus wasn't just simply inviting these guys to simply come and hang out. He wasn't inviting them just to come and take in a bunch of important information. He wasn't entertaining these guys with miracles. He wasn't turning water into wine just for a show. He wasn't feeding the multitudes just to show them what he was able to do. No, he was putting on display the kingdom of heaven. He was saying, this is what the kingdom looks like. Come be a part of it. This is what I'm doing. You too should do these things. See, there's this response to the invitation three years earlier. When Jesus sees these guys and he invites them to follow him, there's a response. Uh, Matthew 4, 18 through 22. It says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, who we talked about, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Again, I just share this with you. They were fishermen because they weren't good enough to be invited to follow a a rabbi. This was their, their future. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. He says in this moment, I'm going to make you a disciple who disciples other people. Other people will come to know the kingdom of heaven because of you. Verse 20, it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets because they too were fishermen. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. That This could be overlooked, but this invitation to be a disciple for these guys, was the best invitation that that could come their way. It was worth their lives. It was worth their livelihood. It was worth their families. It was worth their future. This invitation to come and be a disciple of Jesus was worth everything. And they left it all to go and follow Jesus. They knew what it meant. And so as a follower of Jesus, these guys are learning what it means to live like him, to usher in the kingdom of heaven, our desire, above all else, should be to look like Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, your life should be about looking more like Jesus, not simply just to gather, right? That's okay for a time. It's important for us to gather every Sunday. Don't give up gathering with one another. We, we know that's clear. This is a time of being encouraged and equipped, but this wasn't the invitation that Jesus gave, It wasn't about being a good moral person, about just doing all the right things. It wasn't about fighting those who didn't believe like them or think like them or live like them. It wasn't an invitation just to be right. It was an invitation to these disciples to be a part of something, to see the kingdom of heaven come in their midst and for them to play a part in it. So that's my desire for myself to be more and more like Jesus, and I come up short, but then my desire is to be more and more like Jesus. My desire for you is to look more and more like Jesus. My desire for us as a community is to look more and more like Jesus. And so we begin to rearrange our lives. The the choices we make look different because we want our lives to look like Jesus. And there's some tension, and I'll talk more about this in a moment, but there's some tension uh, when we look at this scripture. And part of that script, part of the tension I feel is that a lot of us, a lot of people identify as Christian. They label themselves as Christian. Maybe they're culturally Christian because of how they grew up or the home that they grew up in. Or they think simply because they're American, they're Christian. And we do a good job of saying certain things that we believe and that we identify, uh, that would identify us as Christian, but we just often don't reflect who Jesus is. Like, I I think this is the tension, and this is hard, right? I think sometimes we have not followed Jesus, we have followed some of the teachings people have given us that sound kind of like Jesus, right? And so I think for all of us, we have to be influenced by Jesus. We have to know more and more about who Jesus is. How did Jesus treat people? How did Jesus love people? How did Jesus speak about people? Who was the kingdom of heaven for? Who was in and who was out? Right? And and honestly, who wasn't out? Right? And so we have to identify ourselves more and more with Jesus. And if you've never read the Sermon on the Mounts, Matthew 5 through 7, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, This is one of those teachings where we see Jesus really preach Uh, kind of for the first time and the only time, and he he talks about some very important things, things like loving your enemies, things that are hard to hear, but Jesus was always putting on display. That's what a disciple is. It's one who learns the ways of Jesus and puts those things into practice. And so before we can worry and think about making disciples, uh, we have to be disciples first. Uh, Disciples of Jesus Francis Chan is an author and a pastor, uh, writes a lot about this. Uh, he says this. Can you imagine Jesus coming along to those guys and saying, would you guys mind identifying yourself with me in some way? Don't worry. I don't actually care if you do anything I do or change your lifestyle at all. I'm just looking for people who are, who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. Right? This wasn't the invitation that was given. It was a radical invitation to say, take everything you are, your past experiences, how you've grown up, and align them under me, to begin to follow me. And they do it. So what is it that Jesus is saying to them, to these guys who were disciples of Jesus? He says to go. This wasn't a suggestion. This wasn't if you get around to it or if you think you can. It was an invitation or not an invitation, but a command, that there was an expectation that they would do this. He's telling them, you're going to go to all of the nations and tell them about me. For three years, Jesus had been instructing his disciples on the kingdom of heaven. He was pointing to the kingdom of heaven. He had been putting it on display. And now he was leaving. Listen. Listen. Jesus is leaving. For 30 years, we don't know much about the life of Jesus. And then for three years, everything Jesus does is pointing to the kingdom of heaven. Everything is pointing to who his father is and what disciples should do. He goes to the cross. He gives up his life. He's buried. He comes back. And for only 40 days, he encounters these people. And then he tells the disciples, it's on you. You're going to do this you are now going to do what I've been doing. And he actually says things like, you're going to do far more than I even have done. He leaves it in these guys' hands. He tells them to go in your going while you're on your way, intentionally seek out opportunities to help people know who Jesus is and to walk with them as they begin to figure out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And he tells them, look, I have the authority to do this. I have the authority to commission you to this mission, to baptize them. What he's saying is to help them see the gospel, the hope and the good news, that maybe in our sin, not maybe, but in our sin, we're separated from God, but there is hope because of Jesus. This is the good news of Jesus. And the call is that they would go and they would tell people this, and that people would give their lives to follow Jesus, And then that wasn't enough that they would teach them to obey all of the commands that he had given them. So, what are those commands? This is where you have to begin to really dive into who is Jesus. It's back to understanding the Sermon on the Mount, it's understanding that that Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, that he came to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, to set the oppressed free that God is a God of justice, and when things are not right, when people are in the margins and overlooked and persecuted for either what they believe or what they look like or where they come from, that we serve a God who is just and cares about that, that Jesus cares about that, and that the mission is to love God and to love people I don't know if you remember, I, I don't remember the, the years, but um, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. They, there were these bracelets that people would wear, and there were these initials on the bracelet. You remember these, the WWJD bracelets? It was like every time you look at your wrist, you would remember, like, what would Jesus do in that, that moment? Well, there's a new one. There's a new one, and I like this one uh, way, way better. Uh, it says HWLF. HW L-F. And it is an answer to that question. And the answer is, he would love first. Yeah. Oh, that's good, right? So what would Jesus do? He'd love. Yeah. First and foremost, he would love. And these disciples are learning that. They have seen it in action. They have seen Jesus live it out. Jesus didn't just verbally say what he, they should do. He lived it out in how he interacted with every person in front of them. And so the disciples were learning this. And now Jesus is saying, you are going to go and do this. And they do. They do. They they listen to this command, and they are going to change the world. The early church not only survives after Jesus leaves them, but it thrives. It thrives because they did what Jesus commanded them to do. They made disciples. This was the plan of Jesus, and this still is the plan of Jesus. This is how the kingdom spreads. Not only in Galilee 2,000 years ago, but in North County, in St. Louis, in your neighborhood. This is how the gospel spreads. I think we're here today because these disciples said yes. These disciples heard the call on their life, and they put it into action. And there's tension. right? There was tension for them. Uh, It was unknown what it was going to look like. Jesus, who had they been... Following is now leaving them, and they experience this tension just like you do. There's a tension when we think about this, but they were willing to press through that, to push into the tension of not knowing what was left. They understood that this was the mission of Jesus, and it was their mission that they would make disciples. They would make people, they would help people follow Jesus to look more and more like, Jesus. And this was their defining moment. This was a defining moment for the church. One author said the New Testament is the beginning of this movement. And then in the New Testament, in the beginning of this movement, it is uh, disciples writing to disciples about making disciples. So what started with a small group of committed disciples grew to about 10,000 in the first hundred years. This small group grew to about 10,000. That was less than 1% of the population, which was about 60 million. However, because these disciples made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, right? It was this ongoing call. This command wasn't just for the original. It was for all of them, that they would all be making disciples who look like Jesus. It grows. In less than 100 years, it goes to about 200,000. Still less than 1%. In 250 A.D., it goes to a million, about 2% of the population. And then 50 years later, in the estimates of what this looks like, around 6 million people are now disciples of Jesus, now around 10%. The church growth, the way people begin to follow Jesus, is because people made disciples. They told them the good news about the kingdom of heaven. But not only did they... Tell them they showed them, right? It's not just with their mouths. They were showing them. And so how did this happen? They had no building, right? We talk about this. You are the church. Uh, th- this is a building that the church meets in. They had no church building. Uh, they met in homes, uh, mainly in the bigger cities. And historians and theologians say that it spread as their neighbors saw the lives of the believers up close and on a daily basis. The pagans, the ones who wanted nothing to do with the kingdom, those who didn't believe, they began to see it in action because they were living up close and personal with these disciples. They didn't separate themselves from those who didn't believe. And so for us, and I'm coming to believe that really the most important thing that we do as disciples is we live up close to our neighbors. We live up close to the people that we work with, with our kids families right we we pay attention to our relationships they lived up close and had daily relationships with people who didn't know about the kingdom of heaven and this is how it spread and they constantly look like jesus uh, martyr uh justin martyr an early church theologian wrote this those opposed to christianity became disciples as they saw the consistency in the lives of believers He said that they, the disciples, formerly rejoiced in uncleanness of life, but now love only chastity. Before we used the magic arts, but now dedicate ourselves to the true and unbegotten God. Before we loved money and possessions more than anything, but now we share what we have and to everyone who is in need. Before we hated one another and killed one another and would not eat with those of another race. But now, since the manifestation of Christ... We have come to a common life and pray for our enemies and try to win over those who hate us with just cause. He is just simply pointing out that these disciples' lives began to look different, that they looked more and more like Jesus. Not just the original, but anyone who begins to follow Jesus, their life begins to look more and more like Jesus. And here is good news for us. I'm not sure I have heard anybody speak poorly about Jesus. Those who are far from the church that really don't want anything to do with the church, they're not speaking poorly about Jesus. They're not speaking poorly about who he is. And so the people around us need to see Jesus. Not just that we talk about Jesus or label ourselves as Jesus followers, but we put it into practice. We are the ones who love our enemies. Who welcome strangers who give to those in need who speak out against injustice who love sacrificially that's what people need to see and that's what was being seen early on in the church which leads us to the third thing they had a real care and concern for their neighbors it didn't take very long for those christians in the early 200s to be known as those who cared for the sick and fed the hungry uh Historians say that by the year 250, the church was feeding more than 1,500 people every day in Rome. Every day, they were feeding the hungry. The emperor during that time was recognizing the growth of the church. Uh, He was trying to make sure that pagan, the pagan religion was going strong. Uh, He was against Christianity, but this is what he says. It's been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care of the burial of the dead. They were taking care of the sick. When, when people would throw the sick out because they didn't want to get sick, the early Christians, the church, would take care of them. It says, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar. There's no one who is begging and that the Christians care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help we should render them. The emperor, who is not a follower of Jesus, is recognizing who the followers of Jesus are by their care and concern for their neighbors. They were feeding the hungry and taking care of the sick. He recognized that Christians in his empire we were looking a lot like Jesus, and people wanted to be a part of that. And so he begins to figure out, how do we begin to take on the actions of Christians? Someone who was a pagan and wanted his empire to look more and more pagan was trying to figure out how to model after those early Christians. And so I think most of you, if you've been in the church, you've heard this scripture Right? You've heard the call. You need to be making disciples. And so often the tension that we experience is, man, I don't think I'm doing enough. Right? That you could feel guilty from this. And and I say this often, guilt doesn't change anything. My hope is not for you to feel guilty, but actually to leave hopeful. To believe that the call on the early disciples is the same call for you. That their defining moment is also our defining moment. But I really think it comes back to, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, right? If we're told to make disciples, we're not sure how to do it. Or you may feel like, well, I don't want to force my beliefs on anybody. My, my friends, my neighbors, they have different belief systems, and, and I feel that tension. Or what if they reject me? What if I begin to share my faith and they want nothing to do with it? And so you've heard, go and make disciples, but you haven't ever maybe been told how, or maybe you've just been in fear. Just real quick, I, I, my son's baseball team, uh, we've had two games now. We've had six rained out, uh, so we've played two games. Uh, game two, five runs in the first inning, no outs. We're up five to three. We lost 18 to nine, but that's uh, a different, different thing. Uh, but here's what I'm learning as a coach. There are times when I don't know how to help them. I don't know how to help them. Right, maybe it's walk after walk or they can't hit. And there's times where I'm like, I just don't know what to do. And I think we feel that tension as we think about making disciples. We know we need to, we even want to. If you believe in the hope of Jesus, if you believe in the life of Jesus, I think we want other people to experience that. But we live in this tension of not knowing how. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about it. So this next series is a, a sequel to this. And we're going to spend some real time looking at, well, what does it mean to make disciples? How can we actually do this? See, I think the command he gave the disciples is the same command he gives us. I believe that God is doing something in our world, in our community, and he invites you to be a part of it, that he wants you to participate, that it's an invitation to be a part of something bigger than yourself, to be a part of the mission of Jesus to make disciples. And so we're just going to figure it out together. I hope that you'll commit to being here, um, that, that you'll really pay attention as we focus in what this looks like to make disciples, but ultimately that each one of us, as we grow to become more like Jesus, will then just begin to help others. We'll help other people follow Jesus. And so we want to be a church that exists, that calls ourselves Christian, that gathers on Sundays, that worships Jesus but also take seriously the command to make disciples, that we want to help people look more like him. Greg's going to come up and close us with our song, and I'm going to pray for us. Would you stand? When Greg's done uh, here with this song, we have a uh, Mother's Day video that we're going to end with. So I'll pray. God, thanks for uh, today. Thanks for a chance to celebrate who you are and what you're doing. Um, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us understand what it looks like to make disciples. First of all, help us to be a disciple of yours that looks a lot like Jesus. Uh, help us to figure out what that looks like. And then help us to put it into practice as we help other people make disciples. God, thanks for your love. Thanks for the invitation um, to come and follow you. The, the invitation to be loved by you. Would you help us to love others well? We pray in Jesus' name.